The scripture reading today is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 11. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And again, to all of you, welcome here. Uh, my name is Bransom, uh, one of the pastors here at the church, and it's my joy to, to welcome you here to our time of uh, just unpacking what the Bible has to say to us. We do this every week, just unpacking verse by verse what God's word speaks to us. Um, but for that to be effective and to take root into our own hearts, we need to have the Spirit's help. So I'm going to invite you now to pray with me as we ask God uh, to work this word deeply into our hearts. Yeah, Father, we come to you and we confess our need of you. God, I confess my need of you. And Lord, yet I confess, along with my brothers and sisters here, our confidence that you are the God who helps us, the God who sees us. Lord, we just thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We need it. And right now, we need the grace of your Spirit's power to Help us to have ears to hear what your word says. That we be changed by it. That we become more like Jesus because of it. That we would be more confident, more grounded in our faith and in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ because of the word spoken in this passage to us. We ask this for Jesus' glory and for our good. Amen. Well, this morning, we are finally finished Paul's section in chapters 12 to 14 about spiritual gifts. And I know for some of you guys, that's a big sigh of relief because you want it to be done a long time ago. And like, we're going on and on and on in this passage. And for others of you, you're really disappointed. And for that, I apologize and I am sorry. And to all of you, I say, whether you are ready or whether you are not ready, here we are. Chapter 15, on the resurrection, Paul is changing subjects. So in chapter 15, Paul starts his longest chapter. 58 verses about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 58 verses that obviously he thinks are very, very important because he's had so much on this subject and the question that we have as we come to 1 Corinthians 15 and try to get uh, just 
organized in, in, our, in our thoughts as we approach it, the question we might have is, why did Paul leave this to the very end? If it's so important, why did he leave it till the end of the letter to begin teaching the Corinthians about? Well, I'm going to explain it, but I think we're going to have to do a little bit of catching up with what Paul said in 1 Corinthians to know why he left it to the end. Because we've been learning that the church in Corinth was a proud and a power-hungry and a selfish church. And if Paul had begun talking about the resurrection and the victory of Jesus and the unbelievable power of God for us as Christians in Jesus Christ, I think it would have just put fuel to the fire of their own pride. See, the word that the Corinthians needed to hear first before the word of resurrection was the word of the cross. And that's in fact what Paul began confronting them about for the first 14 chapters with this reality that Jesus Christ is a God who is loving and kind and humble and self-giving and sacrificial. And it's important for us to realize that's important. That's beautiful. But humility and self-sacrifice make no sense in this world at all unless there is a victory. Unless there is a resurrection. Isn't that the case? I mean, think about your lives for a second. If all that you had was sacrifice and self-giving, with no hope of a greater victory that was coming, if all you had was following Jesus in suffering, then what would be the point of it all? You see, our greatest assurance that imitating Jesus' love and sacrifice is worth it is because of chapter 15. It's because of the resurrection. It's because we know, because Paul unpacks it for us, we see it in the scriptures, that after Jesus died in love for us, he was resurrected. We know that because Jesus gave himself in love for us on the cross, God raised him from the dead and exalted him at the right hand of the Father. And for Jesus, and for the Christian, for you and I, the cross always comes before the crown. But praise God, there is a crown. Praise God, there is a resurrection to look forward to. And that actually leads to the problem that, that Paul had and the problem of why he had to write 1 Corinthians 15 in the first place. Because he had found out that the Corinthians had been capitulating to some cultural pressure and saying that the resurrection of the dead wasn't a thing. That it wasn't real at all. We see that in verse 12, which we did not read yet this morning, but we'll get to in a couple of weeks' time. As Paul shakes his head in disbelief after all that he's been teaching, and he writes to the Corinthians, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Because Paul's figured out what the Corinthians haven't yet. He knows if there's no resurrection, then your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. There's really no point to living the way that you're living. You're kind of giving up stuff now and you're going to have nothing down the road. <laughs> What's the point? And he goes on and teaches that for us to be saved, we need to hold tight to the whole gospel, not just part of the gospel. So this morning, we're only actually in verses one to two of the passage that we read. And Paul is going to start just talking in those verses as we unpack this about how important the whole gospel is. 
not just this part or that part that we like best, but the whole thing. And I want to, I want to, I I have been, I've been praying for us this morning that we would see through this text the areas in our lives where we have in our own lives begun leaving elements of the gospel behind. Picking and choosing the parts that we like best, that we're most comfortable with, and putting the others aside. And I'm praying that we'd be encouraged with the gospel that God has actually done. The one that he's actually provided for us. We'd find that a great encouragement to our souls and to our hearts this morning. So we're going to look at these two verses and we're going to look at three points. And the three points are these. Know the gospel. Receive the gospel. And hold tight to the gospel. I'm going to start with our first point in verse 1. Know the gospel. As Paul begins chapter 15, he says this. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. And I read it that way without inflection because I think there's a bit of blame here. Paul says, I would remind you, I can't believe I have to do this, but I have to make known to you again the gospel that I preached to you the first time when I arrived in Corinth. Because it's becoming clear the more that I hear But what's happening in Corinth that maybe you don't know what the gospel is. Maybe you forgot what it was all about in the first place. See, Paul, a couple of years before, he spent 18 months in Corinth. He he got to this city and he started preaching at the synagogue and he planted a church. And that's 18 months of Paul hanging out with these new believers, teaching them what the Bible had to say about who Jesus Christ was, letting them know what actually happened in the life of Jesus, how that fulfilled the scriptures, how this is now salvation for us. He instructed them at length about the gospel. But after he left, when it came down to the way they lived their lives, time after time, they'd been proving that they didn't really know the gospel. I want to give you a couple of examples of the things Paul said so far to them that reveal how they didn't know the gospel. Well, in the first place, and maybe the most significant one so far, Paul points out failure after failure after failure of the Corinthians to live lives according to the wisdom and the power of Jesus' cross. That's the wisdom and the power of Jesus' self-giving, of his humility, and his sacrifice. And we saw that at issue after issue in the letter so far. And there are divisions that they were having. He's like, look, you're fighting amongst yourselves. That's not the way of Jesus' love and his sacrifice to the cross. And there are lawsuits. They're taking one another to court. And he's like, look, that's not according to the wisdom of the gospel that we see in Jesus giving himself in love for, for us. You're just trying to get what you can from one another. We saw that in these other conflicts, the way that they disregarded one another's consciences by the food that they eat in the church. And they had food sacrificed to idols that some would eat and some wouldn't. And they didn't really care how that affected the consciences of other people in the church. They just thought selfishly of themselves. We saw that in their communion practices. It didn't look at all like Jesus. They just took what they had. Some had means, some didn't. Some got drunk, some went hungry. And Paul's like, how does this gathering look like Jesus at all. We saw in the way that they had conflicts over spiritual gifts, how they didn't look like the wisdom and the power of Jesus' sacrificial love in the cross. 
That's in the first place. All these issues that don't look like Jesus, humility, and sacrifice. We also saw in the second place in chapters 5 to 7, their failures to live like they belong to Jesus. Right? The gospel is this beautiful good news that we're cleansed from our sin, we're forgiven from our sin, so we can belong to God. We're sanctified to be his people, filled with his spirit, his holy temple. But the Corinthians are like, well, I mean, repentance, sin, it's not really a big deal. I mean, God's a God of love, right? And they didn't repent. and They continued leaving and living in the sin that had characterized their culture and they didn't think it was necessary to turn away from it as they came to Jesus. And Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 20, he says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? <laughs> You're not your own, Corinth. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Is the, the gospel would teach that the precious blood of Jesus that's been given for your means that you should be repenting. Just a word of encouragement to all of you. This is not at all the Bible teaching that we are to be perfect praise God, because I sin every day. But it is saying that actually we need to be repentant as Christians, to continue making the effort in our lives to turn away from that sin that pulls us away from Jesus Christ, and turn back towards him to receive his grace and his mercy, to be changed by him. So they got those two things wrong, and then here in chapter 15, it's clear that they don't understand the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul's a little frustrated because at nearly every point of what he taught them about Jesus when he was first with them, they were moving away. They were shifting what, from what they had received. Whether that was the love of Jesus shown in his sacrifice, or the cleansing power of Jesus from sin, or the resurrection of Jesus from death. And that's why Paul begins chapter 15 with a little frustration. I want to remind you of the gospel. I need to remind you of the gospel, which you receive and on which you have taken your stand. I'm beginning to wonder if you Corinthians even remember what the gospel is. There's something interesting here in what we've been unpacking because it's important for us to notice that Paul isn't reminding them of the gospel as mere intellectual content. Right? It's not an exam that they can study and then pass as they write that test accurately. He's like, this is knowledge that has to be lived knowledge for it to be true knowledge. He's like, I'm not sure you really know it if you just have it in your brain and it doesn't work itself out in your life. I'm seeing all the ways that this is not being worked out in your life. And that makes me wonder this morning what Paul would say to us. If he could see our lives in the way that, that we lived, where would those points be where he'd say, Christ City, you look more like Corinth than you do like Christ. I'm not sure you know the gospel. See, every healthy church must know the gospel and live the gospel. So that leads, to a, leads us to a, an important question. What is the gospel? 
Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, thanks a lot. We'll, we'll jump into that. And you may have had the, this experience before where you've been in a room full of Christians and, and you've asked that question, what is the gospel? Or you've seen them talking about it. And you saw person A bring up point A about the gospel and person B bringing the other point. It turns into a bit of a debate about what is this gospel? And usually in those situations, what happens is that everybody points to something that Jesus has done. And some very passionately to that one thing that Jesus has done that they treasure most. Some will say, the gospel is the way that we've been forgiven from our sins. It's the cross. The cross is the gospel. Praise God that that Jesus Christ died and our guilt and our shame is gone and we're reconciled to God. That's the gospel. Someone will say, well, that's true. But the gospel is the way that we have victory now in Jesus Christ from sin and from Satan and from death. Praise God, I'm no longer a slave to sin. Praise God that the power of Satan doesn't have a hold on me anymore, that I'm free to live a new life by the power of the Holy Spirit to do good in this world because God has saved me. That's the gospel. Someone else will say, well, I mean, those things are true, but, but Jesus is the king of kings and we see that through the gospel as he's resurrected and he's raised to sit at the right hand of the Father. So that means that he's the Lord of all. And, and the gospel is how he's a king now of everything and we all must obey him and follow him. That's the gospel. It's just so good. And then usually, if you're lucky, you'll have someone who's like, well, wait a second. Isn't that all the gospel? Aren't all of those things the gospel? The answer, Christ City, is yes. All of those things are the gospel. So the gospel is an interesting word in Greek. It's two words that have been put together. It's the word for good and the word for announcement. It's a good announcement. It's good news. It's a proclamation of of good news. And what's the gospel good news about? What's good news about a savior who has come to save us? Praise God. The gospel is that Jesus came, that a savior has come. And all that that Savior has done, not part of what that Savior has done, is good news. All that Jesus has done is good news. All of it is the gospel. That's why at Jesus' birth, the angel could announce the gospel to the shepherds when he said in Luke 2, verses 10 to 11, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news. I bring you gospel. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And what does he announce? The people that are looking for the crucifixion, they're going to be pretty disappointed. Well, I guess the angel missed the gospel. (laughs) You know, the people that are looking for the resurrection, well, they're disappointed because the angel missed the gospel. (laughs) He says, well, today in the town of David, a savior has been born for you. He is Christ the Lord. The gospel is the good news that God has sent a savior for us. His name is Jesus Christ. But that leads to another question, doesn't it? Because, okay, that's been well and good. That's wonderful. But what is it that we need saving from? Right? Are my felt needs in this world the same thing as the things that God uh, sees and, and wants to save me uh, for? You know, what, what, is, what is it that I need saving from? Well, there's a couple of really important things to hold on to. If you're going to summarize 
what the salvation the Bible speaks about is, Christ City, we are saved from sin and the consequences of our sin. It's a real easy hang on to that and we can unpack it. There's a lot in that. But we're saved from sin and we're saved from the consequences of our sin. So the Bible teaches that apart from Jesus, we're slaves to our sin. That we cave to peer pressure because of our sin. That we're controlled by the power of Satan and our desires in our sin. We see that in Ephesians chapter 2. It's my favorite place to go to, to look at this in scripture. As Paul writes there, As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sin before you knew Jesus, before he saved you. It's rough language. <laughs> dead, Paul? Like all the way dead? You know, a, a little dead? I'm not dead yet. Any little Monty Python going on? No, he says, you're, you're dead. You're dead in your transgressions and your sins, all the way dead, <laughs> in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. Well, that's interesting. Saying you're dead in your sin and it's like you're on the highway of sin with all the other people going the wrong direction with you. And if you've ever tried to get off of a big highway and take the off-ramp when you're in the middle or maybe the far left lane, the ramp's on the right-hand side and there's six lanes and you're going 100 miles an hour or whatever it is, it's tough to get off. Right? Everyone's going the same direction that you are. Paul says you're dead in your sin and that's part of it. Everyone's going the same direction that you are and it's hard to, hard to pull out of that pattern. It says, when you follow the ways of this world, but it gets worse, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in the sons or in, in those who are disobedient. He's talking about a spiritual oppression in that going along with the highway of sin. Saying not only are you stuck in that peer pressure of sin going along with everyone else, but he says there's actually a satanic and a demonic conspiracy going on as part of that. You're being deceived to believe that disobeying God is good. And so there's this peer pressure. I'm with everyone else and there's a spiritual power and a bondage that's happening. And he goes on still. He says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our na sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. He's saying, you also were slaves to your own spiritual dead desires, your sinful desires. And we know that. I think it's very easy for us to grab hold of in our hearts because we know the desires within us that aren't good. It's like, I want to want to do what's good. But if I'm honest, what I want to do is what's wrong. Right? Like there's an de immediate desire in this moment and it leads me towards what's, what's wrong, even though I can conceptualize that there's a better way to live my life. Right? But I'm, but I'm just kind of stuck here and those desires are grabbing hold of me. And Paul says, this is your problem. You're dead in sin. <laughs> and it's got these really deep levels to it. <laughs> Spiritual deception and oppression going along with, of course, this world and just being a slave to your own desires. How are you going to get out? We're slaves to sin. And on the other hand, the Bible is clear. We need saving not just from our sin, but from the consequences of our sin. Spiritual and physical death. Romans 6 verse 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. So wages of sin is death. It's interesting. We labor at lots of things in life, right? And when we labor, we get wages. Paul's saying in the day in and day out of your life, as you live in opposition to God, as you disobey God, that both brings brokenness into this world that hurts more people and wrecks your own life. There's just a reality that that happens. 
leads to suffering and death in this world. That's a biblical story. But it also leads to the expectation that there's a spiritual death, that there's a holy and a just God who punishes sin because he's good. And when I work in this sinful way, the wages of my sin in this life are death. Praise God, he continues. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what's the gospel? Well, the gospel is the good news about what Jesus has done to save us from our sin and from its consequences. And it's amazing. We can talk on and on about what God has done. He's clothed us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ so we can stand before God forgiven and accepted. He's forgiven our sins completely. He's taken away the stain and the guilt of our sin. Praise God. Jesus took all of that on the cross and died in my place. He took the punishment that my sin deserves as he was willing to go to that cross to bear the weight of that punishment in my place. And he's given me victory and new life and put his Holy Spirit within me. So now I'm no longer a slave to my desires. There's another power at work in my life pulling me towards God, to joyful obedience of Jesus Christ as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he's promised me that a resurrection is coming when all things will be made new. When my physical broken body will be raised to be with Jesus, when this world will be made new and Christ will reign and God will wipe away the tears from our eyes and it will be good. And to save us from our sin and the consequences of our sin, every part of Jesus' birth and life and death and resurrection and ascension matters. It all matters. And that's what Paul is so concerned about with the Corinthians. Because they seem to think that some of this gospel announcement was debatable. And that leads to our second point. We must receive the whole gospel. Receive the gospel as it was given to us by God. Look again at verse 1. Paul says, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. Paul says the Corinthians received the gospel. It's an interesting word. It's actually just like the word that he used in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 about the Lord's Supper. Because there Paul said, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. And Paul's point there is, I didn't invent the Lord's Supper. I received it. And after I received it, I passed it along to you. Likewise, the Corinthians didn't invent the gospel. That's not their authority. They received the good news about the gospel. Look, I don't know which reporters or columnists you like to read, um, but a reporter shouldn't get any marks for creative writing. Right? A good reporter should see the thing that he sees or report the thing that she reports or investigate the thing that she investigates and then communicate those things truthfully to us. Right? Creative writers, they have their job. It's beautiful. I love literature. And reporters, they have a different job. (laughs) 
It's the job to deliver what actually happened to communicate the news to us. In the same way, the gospel is news. Christ said, do you know that the gospel's news? That's very important. It's news. We're going to get into that next week when Heath preaches for us. The gospel is news about something that actually happened. It's news that God really sent a savior. That that savior was born as part of God's plan. That that savior lived a perfect sinless life as part of God's plan. That Savior died on cross, was buried in a tomb, was raised on the third day, ascended into heaven, all as part of God's plan to save. And every part of what happened matters. And when we hear the news of this gospel, all we can do is receive that news or ignore this news. That's all we can do. You can receive this news and have your life changed by the power and the miracle of the Holy Spirit. Or you can ignore it. That's not for me. But that's all we can do. We can't alter this news. We only receive this news. And if we try to alter it instead of receive it, all we do is destroy it. See, like water, the gospel is irreducibly complex. I see Andrea drinking a sip of water back there. Something to pick on you. But your water is not going to be very thirst quenching if you remove two hydrogen atoms from every molecule of water in your cup. Right? You'll wreck the water. It's not going to be water any longer. Or to switch metaphors, uh, the gospel isn't like Jenga. Right? Because you, you play Jenga and there's lots of pieces that you can pull out and the tower still stands. It's not how the gospel works. You pull out a piece of that tower of what actually happened, that news that was delivered to us, and the tower falls over. It's useless. It can't accomplish anything for you. See, God's salvation is incomplete without all the parts of what he's done. Now, as we consider this, I think it's important that we realize something here. The Corinthians didn't wrestle with and change the gospel for no reason. They had reasons. You know what their reasons were? Cultural pressure. Just like us. It's not different than us. I think sometimes we think that, oh no, theirs was a different ancient culture and you know they just kind of believe whatever, no problem. It's not the case. These are smart people in a sophisticated philosophical society who thought that the resurrection was insane. These were sexually progressive people in a culture that loved to do all kinds of wild things in all kinds of different wild ways. And they thought this is quite restrictive to follow Jesus in the ways that the Bible teaches. I'm not sure about that. Just like us, this is a culture that's like submission? I don't know. I like to be Lord. I'm not sure Jesus and I can share the same throne. So Jesus is getting off. See, just like us, their culture was selfish and resisted humble and loving self-giving. They changed the gospel in their lives for the same reasons that you are tempted to change the gospel in your life. But the gospel isn't ours to change Christ City. 
See, God saved us in this beautiful way. He reconciled us to himself. He filled us with his spirit and he, he did it so that we would be salt and light in this world. So we could point the way forward to an eternal life that's real. To our salvation that's at work in this congregation right now, but a different way to live. But you will not be salt and you will not be light if you're not bold and courageous to hold on to the gospel as you've received it. See, the gospel that saves and does anyone any good is a gospel that Jesus himself has done. What we need is courage to live it and to speak it plainly. And that leads us to our final point. Hold tight to the gospel. Hold tight to the gospel. Look at verses 1 to 2. Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. You see the way that Paul says, this is the gospel by which you are being saved. And what is it that actually is changing us right now as people? It's the gospel. The things that Jesus has done for us are the things that we put our faith in, the things that actually shape us and train us and change who we are as human beings to become more like Jesus, to fill us with more of his life. See, Jesus has started this powerful work of new life in every person here who's trusted in Jesus as their savior. It's this beautiful thing. It's like that resurrection that we look forward to has begun now. There's a a life from the resurrection of Jesus that has been birthed inside of you as you first trust in Jesus Christ that begins shaping you and changing you and will not be controllable or pushed downable, but will explode out of you at the day that God's appointed into eternal life forever, resurrected with Jesus. That gospel message that you've trusted in is the thing that is saving you and producing that change right now. See, faith in the gospel matters because only faith in the gospel works a miracle of salvation. I want you to to just stop for a moment and do something a little bit different. We just once in a while at the church. It's going to be a little bit weird, but it's cool. I promise. Look around at each other. Look at the people that are sitting here. See, I, I have this privilege and some of us do here to, to know so many of the stories that are in this room. But you know some of those stories too. And I look around and I see story after story of the gospel that is changing and saving people. By which you are being saved. Story after story of redemption. <laughs> of lives pretty radically altered. <laughs> Because they've met Jesus Christ. Because they believe the good news of what actually happened about Jesus. Man, I I look around this room and I, I see some of you who once upon a time were just consumed with bitterness. And you're not that way anymore. You're being reconciled in your relationships with one another. You're being made new. 
You're being filled with the love of God that you've received and you're sending it out to others. I look around this room and I see people that, that not too long ago were completely enslaved in their sin. And maybe it's not like they're perfect now. I mean, that's, that's true, but they've been changed. The power of that sin has been broken in their lives. And they're being made new because of the gospel they're holding on to. I look around this room and I see people who used to be lost and lonely, but aren't anymore because they've received the love of God for them and it's filled up their hearts and they've come into the community of the church where the love of God is just flowing between the members. (laughs) And they're being loved and accepted and suddenly they have friends and lots of friends (laughs) being changed by the gospel. I look around and I see some of you who were buried under anxiety and depression, various other struggles. And as you've been reconciled to God and reconciled to other human beings, that's changing. I know so many stories of people who are sleeping at night, not because of the medication they've relied upon, but because of Jesus changing their lives. (laughs) Not that I'm against medication, just don't don't hear that the right way. but because Jesus is the Savior. I see some of you who just had no idea how to live your life. How am I supposed to parent? How am I supposed to be a friend? How am I supposed to be an employee? Just be a a citizen of this country. And you've come to see that in the word of God, there is good instruction for us as we obey Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. I could go on (laughs) and on and on and on. But it's the gospel that is at work here in this church by which you are being saved. But for that gospel to produce that change, there's one thing we must do. You see what Paul said in verse two? It is by which you are being saved if interesting. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you. The gospel only changes us as much as we hold on to the gospel. If we hold fast to the gospel, that's what changes us. It's interesting. Hold fast is an interesting translation choice. It's a nautical term. I don't know if you know the history of, of hold fast, but it's a, a phrase that's pretty famous because sailors back in the day, they used to tattoo it on their knuckles, right? Hold fast. There's four knuckles, four letters, two words, two fists, and they tattoo it. They tattoo it on, on their, their knuckles. Hold fast. They tattooed it on their fists because to survive storms at sea, they had to hold down the ropes of the sails tight. And nautical language, to hold something fast, doesn't just mean to hold strong to it. It means actually to hold that thing firm and secure. Right? And they had to, to hold fast. Otherwise, their ship that they were on is, is going to flounder. The sails are going to give out and they're going to fall over into the sea. It's going to be really bad. <laughs> and these two words on their fists were a constant reminder of what they had put their hope and their trust in to save them. Tight ropes held secure to keep them alive in the storm. Now in the gospel, praise God, God has provided a strong savior for us. 
He sent a ship into the storm of our suffering and our sin that is seaworthy, where all others sink. He's provided for us to rescue us. But his ship is profoundly different in one respect that we got to hold on to. No uh, pun intended. We have to hold on to the fact that, that we're in the ships of those sailors. It was their responsibility to hold the ropes tight. It's not your responsibility to hold the rope tight with Jesus. See, Jesus is the strong sailor who holds those ropes secure. All you have to do is stay in the boat. It's to stay in the boat. Don't abandon ship for a boat that's coming that looks more trustworthy than his. We're saved because Jesus has held tight that rope for us. And we're just in the boat with him. So you hold fast to the gospel, not when you live perfectly, but when you trust in Jesus to save you. You hold fast to the gospel when you realize that you can't sink his boat with your sin. You can't. You can't sink his boat with your doubt. You can't. You can't sink his boat with your unfaithfulness. You can't. Paul says that in 2 Timothy 2.13. He says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful because he can't deny himself. It's who this God is, a merciful and gracious God who says, all you got to do is stay in the boat. Jesus, Christ City, is in the business of saving unfaithful people. It's why he came. We sang the words this morning. I love the new song Alvin's teaching to us. Jesus said on, in John 19 verse 20, on that cross, it is finished. The rope is held secure. The salvation's accomplished. All you need to do is trust in it. Because Jesus, not you, holds those ropes tight to the end. You know, I, I'm wondering this morning if it's true that the sailors tattooed those two words, hold fast on their fist to, to remind them of what they put 100% of their trust in. What is it that we've tattooed on our fists? And what's the thing that we've tattooed on our hearts that we say, I'm going to trust and hope in that when life gets rough? When things are difficult, when the storms come, do you have Jesus Christ tattooed on your fingers? Or do you turn from him and, and look to find the comfort and, and the pleasure and the hope that, that you long for somewhere else? You know, some of you are in a difficult place in your faith this morning. That's okay. Can I speak to you for a minute? What I want to say to you is, is just stay in the boat. <laughs> it's to speak a word of encouragement to you. You're welcome here at Christ City Church. In fact, praise God he filled the boat with other people. You can, you can be here with us and when your faith is small, well, Lord willing, you can borrow a little faith from us and be encouraged by the way that we're trusting in Jesus. See, we need one another to be in that boat with Jesus. We're not meant to do it alone. So if you're struggling, if your doubts are overwhelming, stay in the boat. 
Stay here with us. Give God space to just work in your life and pull you back into greater faith with Jesus. Paul says, we are saved and we hold fast to the gospel. He does add one caveat at the end that's important for us to unpack before we close. Because Paul ends verse two with these interesting words, unless you believed in vain. What does he mean by that? I think, and I've been convinced this week that it's best to translate the word in Greek that's translated in vain there a little differently. I think he's talking about this. I think he's saying, unless you believe without due consideration. I think it makes a bit more sense of the Greek. It makes a bit more sense of what Paul's saying here because he's trying to remind them of truths about the gospel and the inconsistency of how they're living contrasted with that gospel. And he's like, but wait a second. Unless you haven't really thought it through, unless you jumped into this boat and and you've not really been prepared for that. Maybe you have one foot on the dock and one foot in the boat. And Paul says, maybe you need to figure that out. You know, Jesus himself said, no one builds a tower unless they first consider the expense. Right? And I think this morning, there's an opportunity for you, if this is where you're at, an opportunity for you to consider the claims of Jesus Christ in your life. To get all the way in the boat or to stop pretending. Get all the way in the boat with Jesus. It's so much better than the dock. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about life transformation that begins now and won't stop until we're resurrected to live with him forever. It's really big and it's really good. But for us to receive that salvation, we must know what it is. We must receive it as it has been announced to us in the Bible. We must receive it for the news that it actually is. We must hold fast to it. There's many things right now that offer you life and hope and salvation, but only one person delivers on their promises and his name is Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we come and, and we ask, would you work powerfully by your Holy Spirit right now? Would you change us? Would you convict us? Would you challenge us? Lord, would you sanctify your church? Sanctify us by drawing us more deeply into faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior that you've sent to save us. To trust him, to trust his goodness and his compassion, that he is not the sort of Savior who sees smoldering wicks and snuffs them out. He's a Savior who is good and compassionate to us in our deepest weakness and doubt and struggle. And all you're asking, Jesus, is that we come to you. We get in the boat. So God, I I pray for those that have not yet come to put their faith in Jesus, they would do so this morning. For those that are struggling, that they would be encouraged to trust a good Savior. For those that have been compromising the gospel in their lives, that they would be bold and courageous to cling faithfully to you and the gospel you provided. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.